We're going to look at verses 5 and 7 through 7 there in Jude. Chalmers not here today. He's watching us online. And so continue to pray for him and his health. I think he has car issues today and certain things are going on. I love, I love asking Chalmer about his memory. I mean, living 93 years, that's not easy. And so I asked him how good his memory is. And does he have a problem with memory loss? And his response was classic. Not that I recall. <laughs> how many of you have problems with memory loss? How many remember the sermon I preached two weeks ago? <laughs> Only two or three. <laughs> you know, a Sunday school teacher actually asked the, the, um, the, uh, the class, how many of you remember what we've been going over? And not one person raised their hand and she started crying. I'm not that sensitive, you know, but I, I know that people don't remember what I preach. You're not the first, you're not the last. How many of you remember your devotions? Having them in the morning and at night somebody asks you, so what did you read in the Bible? What did you read in the Bible today? And you forget what you read. It happens to us, right? We don't remember things. We forget things so easy. And, and really, that's why, if you notice here in verse 5, he starts off by saying, I desire to remind you. I want to. I want to give. I want to stir your memory. It's not that you guys don't know these things. In fact, I will. I will say this: if we're going to churches to learn something new that no one has ever said before, we've missed it. The Bible's already signed, sealed, and delivered. We're just here preaching what the Bible already says. Many of you know the stories, know the things of the Bible. The problem isn't knowing them. The problem is having them ready to be able to contend for the faith. We forget things. In fact, people ask questions out of the blue when we're not even ready. Uh, we were at a bookstore this, this past week with Ellie, and uh, we get to this place in, um, in St. Louis, and I mean, it was in a bad neighborhood, and we get to this, I'm like, you picked this bookstore, we almost died going to it. And we get to this place, and, and, and the guy goes like this, he goes, how do you believe there's a God? I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, wait, wait, wait. You know, and so I gave him an answer. I gave him a quick answer. Well, look around. You know, you see the design everywhere. And God, he goes, you know, you're the first person to ever answer that question. I've asked a lot of people that question. It just came at me. Are you ready? If people ask you, so what about Sodom and Gomorrah? What about the Israelites in the Old Testament? You ready to... You have it in your mind. You remember these things. And, and that's why we need a reminder. Look what he says here in verse 5. He says, I desire to remind you. I'm not teaching you something new. In fact, much of what we preach and teach and talk about, it's not new. It's what, what the Bible has said. We're not trying to give you something new. Look what, he, look what he says here in verse 5. You know all things once for all. Interesting way of, of, of saying that. He's saying, you, you know these things. It's not the lack of instruction that you lack. It's the lack of using the instruction that you have. In fact, one guy said it well. It's not the stuff I don't know about the Bible that bothers me. It's the stuff I do know about the Bible that bothers me. Do you know it? What do you know? And, and are you ready to contend? Do you have the truths ready in your thoughts as we remember these things? They're right there in our minds and our hearts, and we're ready to use them. 
So we don't need new instruction. We just need effective use of the instruction that we have already had. And that's what that's what's amazing about reading the Bible every year and and reading different things in the Bible and studying things that we may have read before. As we remember those things, they put our hearts on fire. We're like, wow, I forgot about that. That is an incredible story. And we're, and we're ready to use it and ready to apply it in our lives. I pray that that's how we feel today as we study the scriptures. I pray as we look through these next three examples that he's going to use. And, and let me just tell you something. Verses 5, 6, and 7, these are not positive examples. These are negative examples. You say, well, why does he do that? Well, we do it all the time. We do it to our kids. Don't talk like that. Don't talk like that. We're going to go over to Uncle Vinny's house. You do not talk like Uncle Vinny. You're going to hear some words that you've never heard before. Make sure you don't use those words in our house. Don't do this. Don't drive like that maniac that just cut me off. And it was a church member. Oh, the good guy. Yeah, you know who it was. You know, I got to be careful. Don't do this. We always use these negative examples. Oh, I knew this person that this happened. And don't, don't be like that. And don't be like this. Well, well Jude is going to tell us three examples using the Old Testament of how we ought not to be like and what we can learn from them. They're very familiar examples, but we're going to study through them. In fact, he says, you know them, so I really don't have to go into much detail about them. But we're going to learn about them and look at them. The first example we're going to see in verse 5 is the danger of unbelief. It happens to all of us. The danger of unbelief. Now, now notice this here in verse 5, how he starts it off. He says this. You know this, you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt. Do you remember that story, how he saved them out of the land of Egypt? He sent what? Plagues. He split the Red Sea. You remember that? And he destroyed Pharaoh's army. And then he, he took care of them with, with different things and, and led them by a cloud and a pillar of fire. And he goes, he goes, after he did that, then he sent them out to what? To spy the land. You remember that story? They went out to spy the land. What happened? He wanted to figure out what kind of land was it. Have you ever done that? I have. Before God called us to Argentina, we went to Argentina to see what kind of land Argentina was. And we looked at one specific thing about Argentina that was crucial to us going there. The food. Amen? What kind of food? And then we walk into a grocery store. And there's a whole aisle of pasta. And I could hear the angels. This is the place for me. And then we go to an Italian restaurant and they give us a calzone the size of a football. And I said, God, you got me. This is it. I am going. I am going, Argentina. Here is your servant. Send me. I mean, it was beautiful. They went out to this land. What kind of a land is it? Does it have uh, land flowing with milk and honey? What's the fruit like? Is it good? Is it bad? What kind of land is it? They come back and they say, wow. They bring some fruit back. What a land this was. This was amazing. It does have milk. It does have honey. It is flowing. It is beautiful. But they're too strong. In fact, they're giants. We're grasshoppers. We can't take that land. There's no way. What happens? Turn with me to Numbers 14. Look at this. Numbers 14. I want to show you here. 
They come back with a negative report saying there's no way we can do it. There's no way we're going to be able to go into the land. They're too strong. They're too big. They're giants. We're like grasshoppers. We can't handle these people. There's no way. So in verse in, in verse 1 of chapter 14, we see here that the people, what? They start to, to, start to weep and cry out. And, and in verse 2, they start to complain. It's always, that's what happens. When there's unbelief, it leads to disobedience. They, they can't trust God, so they start to disobey and complain about other people. And it's always other people's fault. And so they go after Moses and Aaron. And they say, it's the leadership problem. We should have died in Egypt. Let's get some leader, verse 4, and we'll go back to Egypt, they say. We're going to get some. And Moses and Aaron, they fall on their faces. What's going on? And then look at verse 6. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, they spoke to the congregation in verse 7. And here's, I love this verse 8. Look at this. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with what? Milk and honey. Do you see what they're saying in verse 8? If this is of God, it's going to happen. When was the last time you said that to somebody when you're trying to trust God for somebody? You say, look, let's not worry about this. Let's not worry about the obstacles. Let's look at this as an opportunity to trust God. And if God is pleased and God wants this to happen, it will happen. That's what they say. Are you one of those that sees the obstacles and not the opportunities? What kind of person are you? Somebody says, hey, we're going to do this. Oh, no, we can't do this because of this, because of that, because of this, because of that, because of this, because of that. And you name 10 things. And they say, well, what about an opportunity to trust God? Well, yeah, we really want to talk about that. If he's pleased with us, he'll do it. What a wonderful prayer to pray that to God. And then he says in verse 9, don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. Now, verse 10, did that pep talk help? How do you think I feel after Sundays? Look at verse 10. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Didn't even work. How many times you've been there? Huh? You're trying to encourage people to trust in God. Exhort. Come on, man. You got it. God's got this. You got it. And they're like, yeah, right. Okay, thank you. And they walk away. And nothing. But now the Lord is upset. And I want to show you this. Verse 11. Don't miss this. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? Look at this word here. The word means to oppose, to blaspheme, to rebel. Verse 11. How long will these people rebel against me? And how long will they not believe in me? Do you see what unbelief is? Unbelief is rebellion. When we don't trust God. How long will these people not believe in me? How long will they oppose me? Notice this. Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. Isn't that us? Despite all that God has done for us, we fail to trust Him today. He does amazing things in our lives. He brings us from places we thought 
we, we never get out of and frees us from certain things and, and gives us victory in areas and we see God work in lives and, and provide for things and then all of a sudden now we have to trust Him and we fail to think about the things that He's already brought us through. They weren't thinking about the ten plagues. They weren't thinking about how He split the Red Sea. They weren't thinking about how He destroyed Pharaoh's army. They were just thinking about how hard it was going to be to go into the promised land. How difficult it was going to be. They saw the obstacles. They didn't see the opportunities to trust God. And so what does the Lord say? <laughs> the Lord says in verse 12, I'm going to, I'm going to strike, I'm going to smite them down. I'm going to make you a nation greater and mightier than they. Now that would be interesting. If I was Moses, I don't know if I would have taken that offer or not. You're telling me, Lord, you're going to wipe out all the people I'm ministering to and give me new people to minister to that may listen to me? That'd be great, wouldn't it? He doesn't do that. Moses is very humble. He says what? Lord, don't do that. In fact, we want your power to be known. Don't wipe them out. You're great. You have great pardon. You have great power. Don't wipe them out. But there is going to be consequences. And here are the consequences. Look at verse 22. Surely all these people who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to test these ten times and have not listened to my voice. Verse 23. Shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who what? There's the word again. Spurred, rebelled against me, opposed me, shall see it. Going to Jude now. We know the only two that did was Joshua and Caleb because they rose up and said, you got to believe in God. But look what Jude is saying here. He's saying through this unbelief, even though God had brought him through so much, they turned and they didn't believe in God. And subsequently, all the people, 20 and above, could not see the promised land. Here's what he's saying in verse 5. Don't go after these false teachers. After all the things that God has done in your life, don't go after these false teachers. You, they'll destroy you. Learn from it. People trust in what they believed in the past and they trust the things, oh, I walked an aisle, I did this, I did that. It doesn't matter what we've done in the past. What are we trusting in right now? Right now. And it says here that subsequently he destroyed those who did not believe. Can you imagine all those after 20 years old and above did not get to see the land? Uh, next 40 years, they died in the wilderness by different things. What an example. Let's go to the next one. We'll go to this one quicker. It's very hard. Verse 6. It is a tough verse. Some say one of the toughest verses to interpret in the whole Bible. In the whole Bible. That's why I'm not going to touch it. Let's go to verse 7. <laughs> Let's look at verse 6. This is not an easy one. All right, we could disagree here. Okay, we'll agree to disagree. And when we're in heaven, you'll see my point and we'll know that we're right here. No, I'm kidding around. Look at verse 6. This is a tough one. The angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. Now, what angels is he talking about? So we get, a, we get a couple options here. This could be a story that we find nowhere else in the Bible. What's wrong with that option? Jude says you already know these things. So it's not an unknown story here. There's another 
people, some very good people, take this to believe that this is when the angels were with Satan in the original rebellion, when Satan says, I'll be like the Most High, and they sinned right there, and God judged them right there. And people take it that. Great people take that view. The next view is that these are angels who, yes, did fall with Satan, but later on, what it says here in, in, in Genesis chapter 6, came down to the earth. They weren't happy with what God had given to them. They came down to the earth in Genesis 6. And what they did is they possessed people, had relations with women that produced giants upon the earth and wicked people upon the earth. And God said, enough. Took those angels and put them in a place of darkness, reserved them, and then one day they're going to be thrown into the very lake of fire. It was immorality. It was greed. It was lust that caused these angels to leave the place that God gave them, the authority that God gave them to come down on earth and try to destroy the earth. Here's what's interesting about this. Welcome to false teachers. They are not happy with what they have. They want more. They want greed. In fact, they manipulate people and say, you know what? You send money to me and God will bless you. There is a great connection, a divine connection between your seed, what you give, and your need. So if you have a need, you give your seed and God will meet your need. You want to know the truth? There's a great connection between your seed and their greed. They're after you. And they're not happy with what God has given them. And, and, and here, these angels, this, this, this is what really gets me. They had heaven. What more could they want? But then they rebel against that. They come down to the earth. They, they, they possess these people. They cause these giants and people that, these, that have wicked intentions in their hearts. God destroys them with the flood. It's amazing what happens here. He says, think of the angels in verse 6. And then think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, and the cities around them. Now, we got to be careful here because the first thing we think about with Sodom and Gomorrah is what? Homosexuality and immorality. Let me show you something, though. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 16. I want to show you something about Sodom and Gomorrah that maybe you didn't know about. This is a very interesting passage of Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 and 50. Here's what's interesting about this. You remember when Lot lifted his eyes up, he saw that, 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 that Sodom and Gomorrah were what? Well watered. Don't miss it. They were green, green. We don't see that in Colorado. We see what? Brown. All right, brown. There is green, but they call it a different thing. Anyway, but you guys will get that tomorrow. But anyway, here we go. Verse 49 and 50. Look at this. Look at what Sodom was like. And tell me if it reminds you of a place where you live right now. Watch this. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had what? Arrogance. They had arrogant women. Boy, this is a good Mother's Day passage. Arrogant women. Women who knew it all. Well, ain't no man going to tell me what to do. 
Arrogance. And, and guess what? When you have women like that, their, their, their children follow that. Sisters and daughters. There's arrogance there. Look what else they have. Abundant food. This is a place of a lot of food. Too much food. And notice the next thing here. And careless what? Ease. I, I like that, that, that part. It was easy to live there. They had all that they wanted and all that they needed. Let me just tell you something. It's easy to live in America. You get it, you make a, you make a, go online, you go to Amazon, you get what you want. You don't even have to go to the store. I lose that time with my kids now. I'm like, let's go to the store. Come on, guys, let's get in the car and go to the store. Now, nah, let's just go on Amazon. Let's just order on Amazon. Well, we could do that, right? Gets there what? The next day or sometimes even the very day. Careless ease they had. Look at this here. They had arrogance, abundant food, careless ease, but they did not help others. She did not help the poor and needy. They can care less about anyone else but themselves. Sound familiar? Sound like anybody you know? Now, watch this. Verse 50. Thus they were haughty and committed, what? Abominations before me. What is he talking about? Let's go to Jude. We see it. Back to Jude. This is amazing. Notice this here, what they do. He says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these, talking about how the angels committed immorality and, 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 and did that. Watch this here in verse 7. These indulged in what? Gross immorality. Do you see that? It's only one Greek word there. The word gross is not there. It's just immorality. It's a compound word for immorality. The, the word literally means that they went against the course of nature. Somebody says to you, what's wrong with homosexuality? What's wrong with these? It's against the course of nature. It is what it says right here in this verse. It is gross immorality. It is a compound word. It speaks of a lifestyle of these people. And it's not only that, but notice what it says here in the passage. They went after strange flesh. Sarkos heteros. They went after strange flesh. This is what it's saying. Men went after men. Now let's be careful here. It doesn't say in this passage of scripture that this is the worst sin in the world. If it did, then this would be the only example we have of the three. Unbelief is bad. Not one amen. There right? we go. One amen. There we go. Thank you, Brian. Well, I guess everyone else thinks unbelief's okay. But let me say this about when people start to indulge in sexual perversion. It is a clear sign that that society has turned their back on God. You say, that's not facing us. Listen to this. Arizona Christian University was under scrutiny. Guess for what? For promoting Jesus' values. This lady, I, I don't even know how you would explain her. She was on the news um, 
She's a bilingual, disabled, queer, black, Latina who loves a good hot wing. That's how they describe her. But only with the right wrench and things that sparkle. Listen to what she says. She says, my concerns is when I go to Arizona Christian University website, they're committed to Jesus Christ. Accomplishing his will and advancements on earth as in heaven. She said, while I full heartedly believe in religious freedom. Yeah, right. And people being able to practice whatever faith they may have, I had some concerns regarding looking at this particular institution. And I think it's really a good time for us to take a moment and really pause where our values are. What are our concerns? Well, here's what our concerns are. Part of their value is this, to transform the culture with truth by promoting biblically informed values, look at this, that are foundational to Western civilization including, look what she's upset at, the centrality of family, traditional sexual morality, and a lifelong marriage between one man and one woman. It bothers her. It bothers the people we live in right now. But how do we fight against that? Here's what we don't do. We don't get picket signs and say, all homosexuals are headed to hell! Because that's not what the Bible teaches. And we're going to see that in a moment. And so what, how do we contend? How do we show them? Well, notice what it says here in the passage. We're going to look right here. He says this. He says, they went after strange flesh. So how do we, how do we contend for the faith? These people are exhibited for what? As an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Here's what he's saying here. We need to learn from this. We need to have this in our minds and in our hearts. And we need to live the opposite of this in front of the people. We need to show them that trusting in God is what it's about. We need to show them that God calls the shots, not us. And we need to show them that marriage is between a man and a woman and love our spouses and show them what a true marriage is about. Because God can change lives. And here's what's amazing. You want to see how God can change lives? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6. This is beautiful. I want to end on a good note. I want to say this. Thank God he doesn't destroy us like he did in the Old Testament here. But I want to show you how patient our God is. 1 Corinthians 6. Verses 9 to 11. Let's not be deceived here, he's going to say in verse 9, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't, don't think that people with this pattern of lifestyle and, and all this who refuse to come to Jesus Christ are okay. They're not okay. But here's what he says here. Don't be deceived. Don't err here. It is so easy for us to look and say, okay, they're okay if they live like this. And they're not. No, don't be deceived here. What kind of people? What categories of people? Notice this here. Fornicators. That speaks of those who are trying to fulfill sexual desires outside of marriage. It's wrong. Notice the next ones. Idolaters. Ones who have other gods in their lives and worship them. There's only one God and we worship Him. 
nor adulterers, the ones who, who outside of their spouses try to fulfill. We're seeing this more and more. In fact, there was a website that was sued because they were, they were helping people commit adultery. And they said, we're not helping people commit adultery. They're going to do it anyway. We're just facilitating it. Look at the next one here. The effeminate. This is the passive homosexual. The homosexual. This is the active homosexual. The thieves. People who steal things. The covetous. The one that, that just can't have enough. They need more and more. The drunkards. The one who can't handle alcohol. Revilers. The ones that like to protest and do all kinds of things and shake their fists at authority. The swindlers. Who, who rob money. He says, don't be deceived here. Th those kind of who are living in those things, who are perpetually living in those things, they're not the ones that inherit the kingdom of heaven. But, watch this, verse 11. Such were what? Some of who? Can you imagine going to a church like that? Hi, I'm an ex-homosexual. How are you? Um, I used to steal things. Can I borrow your TV? <laughs> By the way, I was, I was arrested for 20 years for, 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 for robbing money. Is that okay? And we just start naming things that we were, but that God has changed. That was the church at Corinth. In fact, let me tell you something. I went down to Peru in 2014 to go teach future pastors. I had this student in my class that was excellent. He, he was unbelievable. He, 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 he scored 100 on every quiz I gave and all the tests and all the assignments. He did amazing. I got to know him. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm a former homosexual. He said, I used to be with men. I used to be with women. I used to be with everything I could. He said, but God came into my life and saved me and changed me. And now I'm studying to be a pastor. That's our God. Such were some of you. But you've been what? You've been washed. Look at that passage. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. You've been sanctified, set apart, and now you're declared right before God in the name of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. So here's what Judah's saying. These are examples to us that we ought not to follow, but I'm here to tell you something. God forgives those things. But let us have those in our mind and let us have those in our thoughts and let us be ready to contend for the faith and let us show the world what true Christianity is all about. We fail to do that. And churches miss this. And they make homosexuality be the worst sin in the world. It's not. God can forgive it. And God does forgive it. But the question is, how are you living? Do you have these examples in your mind when God calls you to trust in Him? Are you thinking about the murmuring Israelites? When you're not content with your position and the place that God has put you, are you thinking about the angels that have fallen? And when the temptation in the flesh and the world tells you to indulge in all kinds of sexual perversion, are you thinking about Sodom and Gomorrah? Here's why this is important. That was just a fireball that destroyed a city. There's something else coming. Look what it says here. An example in undergoing, in verse 7, the punishment of eternal fire. These false teachers are headed to the very pit of hell. 
Don't go after them. There's loss all over this passage. The murmuring Israelites lost Canaan. They lost the promised land. The discontent and disobedient angels lost heaven. And the immoral sodomites lost a beautiful piece of land with careless ease. Let's not go down that path and lose God's best. Let's live for Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank You so much for this passage of Scripture. And we understand it's not an easy one. Three negative examples. An example of unbelief. An example of autonomy. And an example of immorality. And how easy it is for us to fall into that. So God, encourage our hearts and bring these things to remembrance, Lord, we pray. Help us to remember them and to reflect on them as we contend for the faith. And not go after these false teachers who want to bring us to these things. Protect us, we pray. Protect each one here. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Remember, we got a VBS meeting here.